You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, Buzzed Broadway listeners. We would like to take a moment to acknowledge the passing of Broadway actor Nick Cordero. Nick had a wonderful career on Broadway and in television, and even earned a Tony nomination for his work in Bullets Over Broadway. Nick suffered complications from COVID-19 and passed away on July 5th, 2020, at only 41 years old. He is survived by his wife, Amanda Klutz, and his one-year-old son, Elvis. The GoFundMe page for Amanda and Elvis has surpassed $1 million in donations, and there is a campaign to rename Broadway's Long Acre Theater the Cordero. Nick originated the role of Sonny in A Bronx Tale, which currently holds Long Acre's box office record. To find information on either of these campaigns, please visit our Instagram, at Podcast. May Nick rest in peace, may his family continue his wonderful legacy, and please, remember to wear a mask. On with the show. Welcome to the Buzz Broadway Podcast. I'm Amanda Harrington. And I'm Sam St. Jean. Each week, with the help of cast albums, film adaptations, and our own memories, we reminisce and relive some of our favorite Broadway musicals. Come listen to two besties booze their way down the great white way on Buzz Broadway. When you're lost and alone and you feel like you need a little lift. When the times are tough and your day has gone adrift. You can always press play on Buzz Broadway. We've got the laughs. Or when you're blue. Buzz Broadway. Or a drink. I need your shoe. So just press play today. Hi, Amanda. Hi. How are you doing? Listen, let me tell you about my day, because I haven't told you this yet. Great. I am starting to wood stain my own furniture, because I want it to be a different... I need it to be a darker wood, and right now it's too light, and it doesn't go with my theme of my room. So, uh, but first, before you can wood stain furniture, you need to sand it. You do. And I'm fucking tired. Yeah, sanding furniture is exhausting. Especially when you have one little hand and a little sander, (laughs) and it's a whole bureau. Let me tell you, I have not gotten very far. (laughs) I took today off of work so that I could start it. Wow. You're really enjoying these Fridays off, huh? Dude, I haven't worked a full five-day week in, like, almost a month. (laughs) But now that's over. I'm so proud of you. Anyways, just wanted to tell you. Woodstain, the way of the future. So that our listeners think I'm really crafty. I would agree. I think you are. Okay, what are you drinking, young man? I'm drinking. I have a little lineup of a raspberry lime truly, and I'm going to I'm gonna follow that up with a wild berry truly. It's really cute that you only have two drinks when this episode may require you <laughs> to drink more. Well, I guess we'll find out. Do you want to tell everybody why we might be drinking a little bit more than usual in this episode? Yes. So... We're starting something new and exciting. And it'll be exciting for you too, fam. So, um, our friend suggested to Sam, hey, why don't you guys do like a drinking game while you do your podcast so that you guys can drink and then your audience listeners can drink too? And we said, okay. So here we are. <laughs> just okay. We said, okay. Have... We weren't like super excited. We just said, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> So every other week, or every week, we're going to come with different drinking (laughs) rules, but we're not going to tell each other ahead of time. So, like, tonight I came up with the drinking rules and Sam doesn't know them yet. I can't wait to find out what they are. Should we first tell everyone what musical we're talking about this week? We haven't said that yet. I guess. 
I'll do it. I'll do the honors. You know, it says it in the episode title, so they already know. I guess you do already know, but it's fun. It's fun if we secretly tell you, you know what I mean? If you just pretend you don't until we say it. We are talking about the 1959 classic Golden Age musical. Princess and the P. Thank you for ruining that. Perfectly good intro. Once Upon a Mattress, based on the classic fairy tale, The Princess and the Pea. So the drinking rules for this evening will go as follows. Okay. Number one. Sip, one sip, anytime one of us says Mary. Okay. Okay, like the name Mary. Number two. Oh, okay. Not M-E-R-R-Y. M-A-R-R-Y. M-A-R-Y. That's what I meant. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, Number two. Take two sips Anytime one of us says, all right. Oh, God. Oh, God. Is that you or me, though? Both of us. Anytime one of us says, all right. Because we guess, do it all the time. I guess that it is on our vocabulary list. And number three, at some point during this episode, my, we may hear my phone go off and it's playing the Spanish Panic. When you hear that sound, you have to finish your drink. No matter how much you have in your cup. I hate you. That's the dumbest rule I've ever heard. I think that's the best <laughs> rule. I set up my alarm to play the song. Oh, God. Also, um, um, we don't condone listening to our podcast while you're driving. Please do not drink <laughs> and drive. Clearly. I mean, you can listen to us get drunk. I guess you can listen driving. to us get drunk. Just don't try to play this drinking game while you're driving. Buzz Broadway does not... Buzz Broadway, Buzz Broadway would like to distance itself from the rules of drunk driving. Broadway, what am I saying? I can't speak. That was supposed to be a funny joke. I thought it was funny. Are right. you ready? Yeah, should we for, kick things off? Um, yeah, I'm also going to continuously remind you about these rules because um, I love drinking games. Great. And you're good at them. That's why I had you come up with the first set of rules. What? Thank you so much. All right, here we go. Drink, you said, all right, drink I twice. did, I did. You're right. Oh my God. So... Many moons ago, in a far-off place, Queen Agravain decreed no couples could marry until her son, Prince Dauntless, found a bride. Princesses came from far and wide to win the hand of the prince, but none could pass the impossible tests given to them by the queen. That is, until the shy, in quotes, swamp princess Winifred the Woebegone showed up. Would she be able to pass the sensitivity test, marry her prince, and help Lady Lurkin and Sir Harry to the altar? Carried on a wave of wonderful songs, by turns and hilarious raucous, romantic and melodic, this rollicking spin on the classic tale of the princess and the pea provides some side-splitting shenanigans. Side-splitting is how I would describe it as well. I think so. There's a lot of good jokes in this musical. I love this musical reconnecting that's not the right word re-experiencing this musical was great okay i think it's like well, i think it's pro- like this and like bye bye birdie i consider two of the like most pure musical comedies that exist i don't know anything about bye bye birdie so well we're gonna have to talk about it next season it's such a good musical but it's i guess for me they're the two i guess i'm most familiar with but this show is just so funny and it's so light and fluffy and i just i really enjoy it well let's tell them why yeah, tell me a little bit about Mary Rogers. Get your drink ready, because that was already one. So, Mary Rogers... Drink. Uh, ...was the daughter of Richard Rogers, of Rogers and Hammerstein. What a surprise. <laughs> look didn't at that we all fan. know it? <laughs> I certainly didn't. 
Um, in her early career, she collaborated with Sammy Kahn, a famous lyricist for Broadway and films. She wrote jingles such as the Prince Spaghetti commercial. We all know that song, how it goes. I thought about looking it up, but I didn't. Prince Spaghetti, you gotta get ready, or else your pasta's flat. With Prince Pasta, you're gonna cost a lot less than a hat. And, uh, Why don't you write jingles? Really, she's just a songwriting genius. When you when you're the when you're the spawn of Richard Rodgers, you come up with a hit like that. You know what I mean? I'm done. I did technically collaborate on our jingle, so technically my jingling skills are. You did. Anyway, it was, you, sorry to cut you Our off. theme song is better than what you just sang, but. <laughs> so, Once Upon a Mattress was her first full-length musical. She wrote reviews for Broadway, but didn't have as much success. So she started writing children's books, including. An amazing children's book, Freaky Friday. Like the Freaky Friday? The Freaky Friday. She wrote the Freaky Friday. She wrote the Jamie Lee Curtis, Lindsay Lohan <laughs> smash hit. That's I'm definitely not... the first time Freaky Friday ever hit the screen. <laughs> so she wrote the children's book, but she wrote the screenplays for the 1976 film and the hit 2003 show. Wait, film. seriously? I'm not kidding. That is shocking. I did not know that. She's. I really thought you great. were joking about the I'm screenplay. I'm not kidding. She did it all. That's amazing. So, like, Once Upon a Mattress is great, but that. <laughs> Was she involved with the musical at all? The Freaky Friday musical? I don't think so. Gotcha. Interesting. Wow, I'm using a straw tonight, and it's a metal straw, so I know that all we're going to hear is that. All I'm you're going to so have sorry. to edit out is the clanking of your metal straw. Can't do that while I'm speaking, though. She had six children, including Adam Gettle. I always wrote... forget this fact. I always forget yeah. that Adam Gettle is is Richard Rogers' grandson. I always forget it. Pretty pretty great fan. If you don't know who Adam Gettle is, he wrote Late in the Piazza. That's all I know. He also wrote Floyd Collins. Okay. And a very popular song cycle called Hymns and Myths, I think is what it's called. It's like um like all the standalone musical theater pieces uh, like Migratory V, uh, Hero and Leander. Oh yeah! Like he he wrote all those songs. He's a, an unbelievable composer. He is so talented. It's stupid. I also forgot to mention Mar- Mary Rogers drink wrote <laughs> uh, the music. She was the composer. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, and then I also found this really great quote. She said, "I had a pleasant talent, but not an incredible talent." I was not my father or my son, and you have to abandon all kinds of things. Wow. She talk about so being she... self talk about being self-aware though. To be like, I'm not the best at what I do, and I'm never gonna nobody's ever gonna say that I'm the best at what I do, and I know that I'm not the best, but like I still did it. Yeah. That's pretty badass. Can I you think re- she's can you read that quote again? I had a pleasant talent, but not an incredible talent. I was not my father or my son, and you have to abandon all kinds of things. Wow. Thank you for being here today. Uh, <laughs> all right, next up. Oh, my foot's falling asleep. Marshall Bearer. He wrote the lyrics. I have two facts on him. He is most well-known. A little well known. by his partner. Yeah. He's most well-known for writing pop songs for singers such as Sarah Vaughn and Nat King Cole. Great, great jazz singers. And then also he wrote the Mighty Mouse theme song. Do you know how that goes? No. Me neither. Great fact. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet our audience might 
<laughs> if you know Mighty Mouse. Is it Mighty Mouse? If you know That's Mighty thing, Mouse, right? call in. What is Mighty Mouse? I'm going to start saying call in like we have a phone line like we do this live. I'm going to start saying that from now on. That's my new thing. Do you see how red my face is? My new is? bit. Amanda, we need to stay on track this episode. <laughs> we can't. Yeah, you're right. And then the writers of the script were Jay Thompson, Marshall Bearer, and Dean Fuller. And mm. I have nothing about them. They wrote some good jokes. They did. It's a good script. A funny, funny book. Funny book. Tell us about the show Trajectory. All right. Oh, two sips, baby! <laughs> Your volume in this episode is going to be through the roof. So, Once Upon a Mattress opened off-Broadway on May 11th, 1959, at the Phoenix Theater on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which is actually a movie theater now. Ooh, spooky. You can still go visit it today. Something also that I find interesting about old Broadway shows, like when we talk about shows that are like pre-1970s, Broadway shows moved so much. Mm-hmm. They traveled f- between theaters so often. It was such a common thing for a show to move from theater to theater. And now it's like a huge deal if a show is to do that. Right. I think it probably has something to do with like sets and, and things. Like I think sets were easier to take down and put up because they were just simpler. Maybe. In like the golden age of musical theater? I don't know, but it's so... Once Upon a Mattress moved several times. That's what I'm getting at, is that they transferred from the Lower East Side to the Alvin Theater, which is now the Neil Simon. That's how they made their Broadway transfer later in 1959. Um, and they actually moved to several other theaters before they finished out their run at the, my favorite Broadway theater, the historic St. James, where Frozen just closed, sadly. Is it because your last name is St. Jean? Kind of, but also, like, Nathan Lane in Forum was at the St. James. Like, there's just... Some great shows that have played the St. James. Patty in Gypsy was the St. James. I love Patty. Um, and then obviously the most notable casting trivia of for this show is the introduction of Carol Burnett to the world. For those of you who know me, you know that my obsession with Carol Burnett runs deep. I love her so much and she is like the pinnacle of comedy to me. So she had performed a few short-lived sitcoms on television at this point. She had been on TV. She had been in the entertainment industry And then she booked this show uh, after kind of climbing her way through. She was unemployed for a stint of time, which I'll talk about later. Um, But she was doing some kind of guest spots on The Tonight Show with Jack Parr. And she got, she caught the attention of the casting team for um, Once Upon a Mattress and she got it. It's unclear how they met, but uh, Gary Moore of The Gary Moore Show asked Carol to fill in for a really quick spot. He had an actress cancel last minute. He asked Carol to fill in and he impressed her so much that a few months later he actually offered her a regular a series regular spot on his show. So like I said, she was unemployed for a brief stint in 1957 but by 1962 she had her first Emmy. So in five years she literally went from unemployed to being on The Tonight Show to being, to leading a Broadway company to being a series regular on a primetime television show and then getting an Emmy for it. She's just perfect. And that's all I'm going to say about Carol Burnett. I actually don't know much about Carol Burnett. She's brilliant. She went to acting school in California. She, her mom died when she was in college. It's really sad. Well, tell us about other stuff. Oh, I actually didn't take down too much information on revivals because there's only really been one other major production of this. And that's the 96 revival with Sarah Jessica Parker, Jane Krakowski, uh, which, to be honest, isn't super notable in my eyes. It had one nomination for Best Revival, and it did not win. Um, 
Nope. So <clears throat> then we also have the t- the television movie from I believe two thousand three, which was aired as part of the two thousand five. Thank you, which was aired as the wonder during the Wonderful World of Disney on ABC. It featured Tracy Ullman as Winifred, Dennis O'Hare as Dauntless, and Carol Burnett reprising, not reprising a role, but revisiting the show as Queen Agravain, which I thought was brilliant. They had to. She's do that. unbelievable. She's so sm- she's so talented. Bob Mackie designed the costumes for that television film, I think. And uh, also featured Zoe Deschanel, very miscast as Extremely Lady Larkin. Did you watch the whole thing? <laughs> I did. I did. I it's definitely so a watered-down version of the show. Yeah. I did also want to mention that this was a, a musical that... that uh, Something I did forget to mention is that uh, this was one of the musicals that fell in the vein of Peter Pan and Cinderella, where it was actually, after it had its Broadway run, it was then televised on primetime television. That's right. After Carol had reached fame. So she did the show with the, some of the original stars, Joe Bova, who played Dauntless. She did the show several times on television, and then she revisited it, revisited the show again in the 70s mm-hmm. uh, to reprise her role as Winifred. And that production also starred Bernadette Peters as Lady Larkin. And I believe that's how they met. Um, and then Carol obviously invited Bernadette onto the Carol Burnett show and Bernadette had a great career on the stage, um, beyond that. They worked together on Annie. I didn't love her as Lady Larkin either. It's a weird role. I love Bernadette Peters in anything, but it's, it is, it's a weird role. It's very classic golden age musical theater to have all of these plot lines happening at once. You have Dauntless and Winifred, you have the Queen and the Wizard, you have the minstrel yep. and the jester and the king kind of in cohorts with e- cahoots with each other. Um, you have Larkin and Sir Harry as the mm-hmm. true romantic couple. And, you know, with kind of the foil to Winifred and Dauntless being kind of the more comedic couple. Love it because they're the stars. They are the stars. But I do think Harry and Larkin kind of get the shit end of the stick, for lack of a better term, because they're just kind of the boring romantic couple. Hello, Buzz Broadway listeners. As you may know, the United States is currently experiencing a nationwide revitalization of the Black Lives Matter movement, and we here at Buzz Broadway have been called to anti-racism work. For the foreseeable future, we will be highlighting organizations and charities committed to combating systemic racism towards Black, Indigenous, people of color in the United States. This week, we are pleased to highlight the Ali Forney Center. Ali Forney was a black, gay, and transgender youth activist for homeless LGBT plus youth in New York City. After working to join the Safe Horizon Streetwork program and advocating for safe sex during the AIDS crisis, Forney was found shot to death on the sidewalk in East Harlem. Ali was the third trans youth murdered in a 14-month span. Unfortunately, trans people of color are still at a dangerous disadvantage today over 20 years later. A reminder that 21 trans people have been murdered in 2020. Four of those murders were only last week. Founded in 2002, the Ali Forney Center became the largest LGBT plus community center and helps queer youth all over the United States. They manage and develop transitional housing, provide food and hygiene services, and even provide free health care. Approximately 40% of the homeless youth identify somewhere in the LGBT plus community. The AFC has grown from a mere six beds to now serving over 1,000 young queer people annually, 
For more information, visit AllieForneyCenter.org or visit the link in our Instagram bio. Thank you, and on with the show. So what did you do to re-experience it, then? I watched the Wonderful World of Disney production, the TV version, on Disney+. Plus. I listened to the original cast recording and the 96 cast recording. How about you? What did you do? It's exactly what I did. Um, oh my god, we are two peas in a pod. We are two peas, princess and the pea. We're but, just two friends. But also I watched, because I also don't know Carol Burnett very well, so I watched a bunch of videos because I was like... Like Carol Burnett show videos? No, sorry, like her in... Her in Once Upon a Mattress? Yeah. Great, 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 great. If you don't know Carol Burnett well, if anybody, better yet, if anybody listening does not know Carol Burnett well, please go watch clips of the Carol Burnett show on YouTube. Maybe that's what I'll do. She is truly, you, it cures my mood every, I could be in the worst mood possible. And I've, I love Bridesmaids. I love, you know, I love listening to music. I love listening to comedy albums. I could be in the worst mood possible and I put on the Carol Burnett show and everything is better. It's like the Wizard of Oz for me. Yeah. Like I put on the Wizard of Oz when I feel really sad and I put on the Carol Burnett show. I also have Pope. Oh, I have some too. What are you, what's yours? Maybe we have the same one. Maybe. Mine is about how Marshall Bear got kicked out of rehearsals during the 1996 oh. revival because he wanted, no. he wanted Sarah Jessica Parker to just imitate Carol Burnett. So There was no way she could do that. No. So the writer... She's A, not great in the role, but... She could have never even intimidated, intimidated, imitated Carol. Well, and also, she. I watched an interview with her, and she's like, revivals are meant to, like... Be different. Yeah. So they literally <laughs> kicked out the writer of the show because... Oh, no. He just wanted Poor her Marshall. to be like Carol, and just nobody is. So that's it. That's my potpourri, my little fun fact. What about you? Do you want to know my potpourri? Okay. No, moving on. So... Carol liked to work herself to the bone. She liked to work so hard. So she got this show. She rehearsed the show. She did it on the Lower East Side. She did it on Broadway. In the same year that Once Upon a Mattress opened, Gary Moore reached out to her to take over that spot on his show. Mm. And she did both. That's right. So keep in mind, I'm I'm fairly certain. I don't know 100% how television exactly worked in the 50s. Or 59s. I guess this is technically like almost the 60s at this point. But I'm pretty sure it was always live. Like I think when you watch TV, it was just like an open channel of like what was happening. I don't think there was a way in 1959 to like record things really. So I'm pretty sure what was happening. Because Gary, Gary, the Gary Moore show was like a primetime television show. It was in the evening. It was like like early evening. Like 5 or 6 o'clock. So I think she would do the Gary Moore show from like 5 to 7 Get on the subway. This is what I get from my reading. Get on the subway and go downtown to go do the show. What? Keep in mind, Gary Moore went, uh, I'm pretty sure Gary Moore went Monday to Friday. And Once Upon a Mattress went Tuesday through Sunday. Oh my God. And they would do two shows on Sunday. So Carol did not have a day off. She literally for like over six months worked seven days a week, like 65 hours a week. How did she still have a voice? I don't know, and I want to talk about that later because her voice on that original cast album is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. She, I'm gonna sit, talk about this later, but okay. I don't want to get ahead of myself. All right. <laughs> so she gets it, she. They're doing. I think it's a Sunday night show, is from what I gathered. 
they were doing two shows that Sunday. They had a Sunday night show. It's act two. She gets dressed in that silly nightgown with the funny mop cap. She climbs into the bed. She lays down. And she fell asleep. <laughs> and she was, like, out cold for, like, 15 seconds of, like, silence on the stage. Wait, like, during and the production? And the stage manager... During a performance of oh the show. Oh, my God! <laughs> and the stage manager had to, like... she. I think she talked about this on um, on Regis and Kelly or Ryan and, and Kelly, whatever it is. And the stage manager had to, like, whisper to her from offstage, like, Carol, Carol, wake up! And apparently the audience never knew. They just thought that, like, it was part of the show that she was just, like, asleep. But Carol said she fell asleep for, like, 15 seconds on stage during a performance because she had worked herself so hard. And the next day was a Monday, and Gary Moore gave her a day off that day, and then they worked with the sh- with the theater to make sure she had a day off every week. That sounds like a good plan. Wow. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. I When I was a kid, I did Peter Pan, and... We did, like, a, a few weekends of the show. I think we did, like, three or four weekends. And I fell asleep as Michael in the bed for, like, ten minutes. But that, that scene, if you know Peter Pan... You're in there That forever. scene in the musical... Right, Peter Pan and Wendy have, like, a 25-minute scene. Yeah. I guess it's, like, it's like 15 or 20 minutes. But they have a very long scene <laughs> where the kids just have to lay in the bed. And I, I'm laying in a bed, and I'm eight years old, so I fell asleep. I love sleeping on stage. <laughs> that was amazing. Do you want to take... Um, a quick break before we get into our awards so that I can... Why not? I can get some ventilation. That sounds great. We will be right back after this quick little instrumental. Okay. Let's get into it. Let's talk about our... Damn it, you didn't say it! You're right, I didn't. Because I know your game. Let's get into it. Let's talk about our wonderful awards segment. Amanda, you go first. What are your (laughs) What are your favorite musical moments from Once Upon a Mattress? I only have two. Okay, I only have one. Okay, great. One of them is, and you're probably gonna like think I'm lame, but I really like the one, two, three, four in, in a little while. That's not lame. That's beautiful. It's very cute. I think it's such a simple little. It's also like very golden age. I love it. I I pretend I am a golden age singer all the time and sing it, and I just can't. So, but that's number one. <laughs> number two, and this is kind of cheating, is every single harmony in Opening for a Princess. Sorry about it. They are pretty great. Just fucking rad. <laughs> just so good. They are really We'll talk good. about that more later. Oh, good. Because I have things to say. Great. My, I only have, I literally only have one, and it is the first time that Carol... A.K.A. Winifred sings Shy. Oh, so quiet, good. Quiet, That's I've very good. always been the... It's just, it, you get a great laugh, it's a great comedic beat, and it's like the heart of the show for me is that song. Oh, for sure. And the, just the timing, I just, I can't, I can't help it. Quick, quick, uh, I know we just came back from a break, but quick, uh, quick break while I just... You cracking open another one? Oh, what a sexy sound. Let's talk about best numbers. I'm ready. Can I go first this you time? You go first. Yes, honey. All right. This was supposed to... Never mind. This was actually supposed to be one of my musical moments. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the part where they sing, uh, go and get the Prince of Royal Wife, and the song completely shifts into a different musical style. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Obviously, we don't know what this original, what the original staging of the show was like, but I would assume that that song got a good amount of laughs because it starts out kind of feeling very 
medieval, feeling very minstrelly. But dum, but dum, but dum, mm-hmm. but dum. It feels very simple, and then all of a sudden, it's jazz. So I it would assume that jazz. I would assume that that transition got a good amount of laughs in 1959. And I think when it's done correctly, it still can have that effect today because the musical style changes so abruptly and yeah. the lyrics back and the lyrics back that up. Now jumping forward to my favorite production numbers, I have two. Okay. The first is The Swamps of Home. Oh, yeah. I think that that song is such an indication of the kind of influence that Carol Burnett has on her work and hmm. also the kind of influence that the work that Carol does has an influence on her. When you listen to that song, especially her rendition of it, it is so quintessentially her style of comedy. She's supposed to be a princess from this like beautiful far off land and it's Carol Burnett, so of course she's from a swamp. Right. Like she's not from like the kingdom of Arendelle or like wherever Giselle from from Enchanted is from, like a beautiful cartoon land where birds sing to you. She's from a, a swamp. That's his, That's so funny. Some of the poor people have dry land, but the rich people live in the swamp. That's what they say. That's a line. It is? Yeah, because they're like, you don't have any dry land? And she's like, well, some of the poorer people have dry land, but the royalty, we live in the swamp. Oh, that's like a, that's like text in the show? Yes. Oh, I don't, I do not remember that at all. Clearly, I did more research. <laughs> and then my second production number favorite slash nominee is the 96 pr- version of The Spanish Panic. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's so funny. They throw in like a, it, it gets progressively faster. The panic, the actual Spanish Panic dance gets progressively faster. You then get this hysterically out of the blue disco number. Hell yeah. It then becomes like the fl- like a flamenco tango number to really emphasize the like Spanish influence. Uh, I think that they did a good job at updating that number for the for the nineties. Agreed. That's also one of mine. The Spanish Panic. Yep. It's a great. It's not technically the Act One closing. Technically, Song of Love is the Act One closing, but it it also really it, it's a great it's a great last like tw- ten minutes of the show. Yeah. Okay. So one of mine is Spanish Panic, specifically great. the ninety six one. I do like that one. I kind of love in a little while. I just That's think allowed. it's pretty and sweet. It's a great and, way to introduce two lovers. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't really care less about them, but I think that they're... <laughs> I really like that. I like that one more than... What's the other song we sing? Yesterday I, I loved, loved you. Yeah, I couldn't care less about that one. In a little while, it's just very pretty. And then, obviously, you know my other is fucking opening for a princess. You really love that song. I'm sorry, but the harmonies are just so sexy. I know. And Mary Bobber says she's not a good composer. Right. I mean, specifically, I really, it's the arrangements of the 96 one, because they oh, do sure. they do add quite a bit, because I compared right. them, because I'm a dork. You're but not I, a dork. That's your job. That's what we talk about in this musical. That's right. It, it's just it's just very good. I, I would have to say that one wins, and we're moving on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I do want to say before we leave Let production numbers. Begin! I hate you so much. I can't finish this. I have like the whole drink left. I cannot finish this. I have literally a whole truly. I know. And when you cracked it open, I was like, that sucks. I'm so mad at you. How did you know? I, well, I remembered what time I said that. Oh gosh. You're a psychopath. Everybody finish them. Oh, I remember what it is. Does anyone know what the song Normandy is about? 
the place they're gonna they're they're gonna run away to. Because she's gonna have the baby. Yeah. And they need to go away. Yeah. But Larkin's not there for that song. Who cares? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I buy that. Good talk. Amanda, acting award nominees. You go first. Who are your Who are your noms? <sighs> who sings the opening number? Is it the Jester or the Minstrel? The Minstrel. So my first one goes to Harry Snow. Who played the minstrel in the original cast? On a stormy night, his to a castle door. And it's like that. I love that. You're also my next nominee for just that one line. (laughs) Great. But Harry Snow's voice is so beautiful, and it It really is. When I was listening to the cast recording, like that's the first thing you hear, and I was like, I'm in. Like a hacker in a '90s movie. Number two, Carol Burnett. Gotta nominate her in there. I feel like also with every acting work we do, it's really difficult not to nominate the original person. Yeah, and the show really is like nothing without her. Exactly. But my third nominee, and I'm interested to see how you feel about this, is Tracy Ullman. Zoe Deschanel. Oh. Fuck no. Tracy (laughs) Ullman. Tracy Ullman is hysterical. She's very funny. She was so. One, I loved that they chose a British actress for the role when everyone else was American because she's from a far off land. So great. Number one. Number two, she yeah, she is hilarious. Well, she's very like kind of well known. She's not like she's obviously not like an A list celebrity in the US, but in British television, she's a very well known. She's much more well known. She has her own TV show. Yeah. She does a lot of work over in the UK and she's done enough that we most of us know who she is over here. And even if we don't, because I've only seen her as, like, a guest on certain TV shows and stuff, but she's so good in this in this movie. Hysterical. Who are yours? I think no one will be surprised to know that my acting award nominees are Carol Burnett, Carol Burnett, and Carol Burnett. Okay, cool. So we're going to go with Tracy Ullman. Because um... <laughs> here's the thing. I think, I think if you take her out of the equation... If Carol never did this show, A, her career doesn't really launch the same way that it did. Excellent. And number two, I think this show would just kind of disappear into the ether of Broadway history. I think it becomes like just a lost musical of the 1950s without her. She yeah. literally catapults, not exactly overnight, but over the course of three years, she goes from her first Broadway show to an Emmy. You know what I mean? Like yep. that's, I, I just, I think that... The show is so much about her and her career and what the two had to offer to each other. What her career had to offer the show and what the show had to offer her career. I'd have to agree. And there's also nobody else who really sticks out from the original show besides Harry Snow. But like that actually had, <laughs> but that had like that booming career. Longevity in their career. Yeah. Exactly. I think the other thing too, A, like we all know her for her comedy. She's so funny. She can make anybody laugh. You talk to anybody on the street. I actually did date a guy who told me that he did not think Carol Burnett was funny. And it literally, I'm not kidding you, like it was, it it was actually one of the deal breakers when like I decided that we were no longer going to be together. <laughs> I get that. So we all know that she's funny. It's almost, it's almost undeniable, like inarguable. But I was listening to Happily Ever After. And if you watch some of her like guest spots, like when she did Judy, not Judy, when she did Carol and Julie at Carnegie Hall, her voice, on top of being so funny, her voice is really good. Yeah, I was like, she has a surprised. really strong vocals. 
Because I think people think she just does silly voices. Yep. But she can sing the hell out of anything. Mm-hmm. Some of her vocals on, like, uh, Sondheim on Sondheim from, the, from mm. Broadway in the 90s. Yeah. I think that's the 90s, right? Late 90s. They're yeah. just unbelievable. Her voice is so good and it's so underrated. So that's my acting award nominee. Only Carol Burnett. All right. We can give it to her. She can win the Edwina Spoon Apple Acting Award. I'm sure that'll go She in- deserve it. And she's going to put it right next to her Emmys and her... Does she have a Tony? She I must. I have no idea. She must. Um, actually, I'm most excited by my honorable mentions. Lay it on me. Who is it? Tell so number one... My first honorable mention goes to Eric Stern and Bruce Coughlin, who were the music arranger and orchestrator of the 1996 production. Oh, you love that. I love that. (laughs) Mostly because of what they did for opening for Princess, but also Spanish Panic. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Funny. Number two. Okay, so I hate Sir Harry. I think he's lame. Just the character in general? Yep. Okay. But Matthew Morrison brought a whole new light to him. He's sexy, and he made him way more interesting than he actually is. And my third nomination, we went this whole episode without talking about the transport group production of Once Upon a Mattress. Oh, with with, with Jackie Hoffman. Jackie Hoffman. Yes. She is my other nominee. We did not talk about about that that production at all. That production starred Jackie Hoffman as Winifred the Wobegone. And Lipsinka as the queen. Mm-hmm. Lipsinka, for those of you who don't know, is like royalty of New York City drag life. I think maybe not New York City drag life, but drag in general. Lipsinka yeah. is one of the like oldest, like most iconic lip sync lip syncing drag queens. She does this bit of like old Hollywood telephone. Old Hollywood movies that have telephones in them, and she does this whole spoken word. Have you ever seen that, Amanda? No. I'm going to send it to you along with the Carol Burnett things, because it's even okay. if you don't know the references that she's making, the way that she lip syncs is just so brilliant. So to see her do something totally outside of what she normally does is really cool. I mean, obviously she was in drag to play the queen. Right. Um, But it's really, it's really cool. It was so good. And so she was first approached about this production, and they're like... You mean Jackie? Yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Lipsinka. Was, was approached before Jackie was. And then Lipsinka said, I have a friend, Jackie Hoffman, who should play this role. And Jackie Hoffman was like, that's so dumb. Like, I'm way too old to play Winifred. And, you know, they were like, well, I'm a man playing the queen. So please come play. And it, it just gave it a whole new comedic thing. I agree. And Jackie is so, so, so funny. So funny. Our music, our music supervisor for the Charlie tour is actually, he. so he worked on Charlie on Broadway, and he got really close with Jackie from doing something. I think they had worked on one of her cabarets together. And then when okay. they did Charlie together, she then only hires him to do the music at her cabarets. Awesome. So he has all sorts of ridiculous stories about Jackie Hoffman. She hates children, like, so much. And he Love just that. he just has some really hilarious stories about Jackie that he shared with me over the years. Over the years, over the years, over the last few months that I've known him, I shouldn't say over the years. I would love to meet her. She's, I couldn't give her my win, um, or the acting award, but she's pretty up there. She's hysterical. She's so funny. Do you have honorable mentions? I do have one honorable mention. It's Dennis O'Hare, who plays Dauntless (laughs) in the film version. I think he's so endearing and so lovely, and he plays that character type very well. He did it as the baker in Into the Woods at the Rat Rat at Shakespeare in the Park hmm. in, in Manhattan. He just is a very sweet man with a lot of talent. Yeah. I thought he was great. 
That movie actually is very good, except for Zoe Deschanel. I agree. I do. I do think there's a place for her in musical theater. I just don't think it's oh, yeah. as. I just don't think it's as Lady Larkin. They could have given that role to so many other people. She was also like at the start of her career then, and she was famous for that deadpan vibe. Right. So I'm confused as to why they were like, "Oh, play this." Play a print. Play a like a, a lady okay. in waiting. Yeah. It's very. Right. It was a very interesting choice. You're right. Oh, I said all right. Two sips. I just said it again too. Um, please share with me who wins the show for you. If it's not Carol Burnett, then I'm leaving. I think we know it's Carol Burnett. Okay, cool. <laughs> Is that yours too? No. Who's yours? I went back and forth. Oh my god! I my first one. I have two. I guess that's cheating. Okay. Mary Mary Rogers. Drink. Great. Um, because this was like her biggest, her biggest thing. Aside from spawning. Yeah, that's true. And Adam Gettle. This spawn of. But also, I love. I really think the ensemble wins this show. Interesting. Um, they get to just do a quiet, lot. Of... Quiet. The queen insists on quiet. Ex- exactly. I insist on quiet while I talk about the ensemble. Um... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you want to talk about mothers? <laughs> Do we share with them our small personal experiences? And we have to. What Do you have any? I do have a, a little bit. Okay, let's talk about what stunning roles we played, and we know who played the more important role. But Incredible. I played in the seventh grade. Amanda was in the sixth. I played Dauntless the Drab. Duh. The Prince and... of the Kingdom. Amanda, who did you I, play? I know everyone's like, oh, Amanda played Winifred, but psych, I played Lady in Waiting number three. She did have, have a name. No, she did not. No, she definitely did. Oh. I remember there were like line. three. There were like three that had names. I was like the the head of the ladies in waiting. And you I would be like, I would be like, time to leave, chop, chop. And I would bring them off stage. But you I've been practicing my line because I really wanted to revive it for our Okay. Audience. Okay, 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 I'm so ready. <clears throat> I never heard a test so difficult to pass. We did always have a moment, because I was downstage right when you said that. How that do you is, remember that? That line, is, that line is right before, alas, mm-hmm. alas, is what? And I would start it downstage right, and I would walk all the way to downstage left, drawn, alas, alas, is Why what? I lack, I lack, alas, alas, alack. Because we'd have a moment right before. You would look right at me, and you'd say, I'd never heard a test so difficult to pass. You know what I imagine when I think about us doing shows at Mountain View Middle School? What? Have you seen that SNL skit where they're at, like, camp, doing theater at camp? Wait, maybe? I, I don't think I have. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, Vanessa Bayer. She always plays, like, the, the lead of whatever show they're doing. And she plays, like, Vanessa Bayer does a really good child actress impression. She's always like, but I didn't know that my mom had to take me to the doctor. <laughs> like, you know how kids, when they do theater, they just overemphasize yes. every word? She does a great impression of, like, an overacting kid. Oh, my God. And that's what I think of every time I think of us doing shows in middle school. Even a little bit in high school, I guess. But, like, me at 14 years old being like, Mama! Mama! As Chip in fucking Beauty and the Beast. When I was in camp, I was in the group that did a play, and I got the lead. Oh, who did you play? Jesus? What? No, it was, like, some princess. It was, like, a made-up show, whatever. I don't know. But I remember the counselors had to pull me aside and be like... Uh, Amanda, like, you need to maybe, like, don't be so verbal about how excited you are that you're the lead. Like, some other people might not be feeling great about it. <laughs> how did I not know about this? Is this at your Jesus camp that you used to go to? No, this was, like, when I was 10 at, like, a Girl Scout camp. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, of 
course I'm the lead. I'm the princess. Like, such a <laughs> And then I never went back to that camp again. I that is the two people. of us, though. That's the two of us in high school as well. Yeah. I'm glad we're adults now. I used to refer to myself as the Rachel Berry of Gosh High School, but seeing that Leah Michelle has seen recently been canceled. She has like been to, canceled? I would like to publicly distance myself from the reputation of Rachel Berry. I also love that they're just like, the media has caught on to not like, Leah Michelle is not important. She's not this. <laughs> She's canceled. I love that so much. I mean, I don't. Oh, She's the worst. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyways, do you remember anything else from our show? Uh, it was my first, I think, I think we had a stage kiss, me and the girl who played... No, you didn't. Winifred. I think we did. Miss Giffen did not do any stage kisses in middle school. You probably did the, the hand. End. I remember in middle school we did a lot of, like, the hand over the mouth. Yeah, but that was never guided by a, a director. That was just things we did because we were horny adolescents. I don't know, it was in a cafetorium. Like our, our high school our, our middle school drama was in a was in a cafeteria that doubled as the theater. Uh the uh, uh, wing space was like virtually non existent. Non existent. I remember I had two costumes. Why didn't we do it at the high school? Like I don't know why middle school could've... theater doesn't happen at the high at the at the Because when I taught middle school, we did our musicals on the high school stage. I think because they technically have a stage, it's just not a good stage. Did we even have a set? Uh, yeah. I think it was like some walls with some flags on them. Oh, okay. Anyways, do you remember anything else? I remember a little bit of our Spanish Panic choreography. Me too. It was like... It was like... I remember that. It was like step in, like you would turn towards each other. Yes! And right, left, right, left, step, left, right, left. Something like that. Let's talk about some. You don't have anything else for for when we did the show. Oh, it was the getting to know you. Also, it was it was the getting to know you. That was like a big thing. It wasn't like a school audition, a school version. It wasn't like a junior version. It was called oh. getting. It was called getting to know. Once upon a mattress. Well, we got it. And we cut like a lot. Like the 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 version of the show had a lot of cuts. His name was not King Sextimus because that's like wow, so inappropriate for. Shut up. His name. His he was just the king. You know what they uh, did keep in, though? They kept in both Swamps of Home and Happily Ever After. Yeah, but those aren't, like, bad songs. They're not bad songs at all. I'm just shocked that they kept two solos and cut out other stuff. Oh, you're not wrong. But I guess all the stuff that they really cut out, like, they cut out in a little while, which has a lot of innuendo about, like, pregnancy. That makes sense. I think they also cut out The Minstrel, The Jester, and I. No, we did that because it was oh. it was Brie Nelson, Mark McCormick, and Keith Joyle. I'll never, yeah. No, it was right? not Mark McCormick. Nope, he was not in it. I didn't meet him until high school. Who was the jester? I don't. Keith Bouchard was the wizard. I know that. I know Keith Joyle was the king. It was not Mark. I think it was. It was not. No, I'm almost positive it was. I think it was Bree. I think it was Bree Nelson as the minstrel. Does that sound right? Yeah. Or one of Keith, the two. Keith Joyle was the king. Andrea Definitely. Foley was the queen. Yep. Keith Bouchard was the wizard. Yep. I'm pretty sure Mark McCormick was the jester because that this would have been the last show that he did. I don't View. think it was. I don't think I was ever in a show with him until Greece. Who else would have played the jester? Who else was in it? Who was in the ensemble? I, I don't, don't remember anybody else. Me neither. Um, it's not important. All right, let's talk about some quick dream casting. What's your dream cast for this show? I would love for you to. I said that. all. I I said all right. 
Oh, two sips! I would love for you to play Dauntless again. Oh my god, thank you so much. Um, This is still going to be so irrelevant to most of our listeners. Um, I think our friend Becca Mansfield would be a great one if read. So you all are of my, correct about that. All of my dream casting is just people we know. <laughs> That's, I think, allowed. I, it sounds so cheesy to say, but Andrew Kelly, as Sir Harry... Would be a great Sir he, Harry. I mean, like, he is that, that type, and that's annoying, but also he would maybe make it funny. And then he could do it with his fiance Rachel, Pantazis. They'd be cute. And then, I'm basically, yeah, I'm just imagining our college in it. Laura Daigle is the queen. She and would be great. yours truly as lady-in-waiting number three, because I feel like I have to reprise <laughs> it. I've never heard a test so difficult to pass. I had another line, I just don't remember it. Get that tattooed on yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what are yours? You have real people. Yes. So my first dream cast for Winifred is Jennifer Samard, who rose to very notable fame in 2016 when she had a Tony nomination for her role as Sister Mary Catherine, I think. Is the name oh, of in Sister Act? In No Disaster. Why do I speak? I'm out. <laughs> You're thinking of Marla Mandel, which is okay. Yeah. She dated Kate McKinnon for a while. Um, but Jen Samard, I think, would be hysterical as Winifred. I also think we missed... I don't know why this has never really happened, but why are... why are? I wish there were more SNL alum on Broadway. That's All we really point. got was Taryn Killam in yep. Hamilton. But there are so many people that I feel like can sing enough to get through for, a musical, especially if it's a comedy. Yeah. Right. So I think, like, a Kristen Wiig production of this show would have been really fun. An Amy Poehler production would have been really fun. Vanessa Bayer, too. I don't... So to be honest, to be candid with you all, Vanessa, if you're listening, I know you are. uh, I don't really love your work, to be honest with you. Oh my god, she's hilarious. I have had a dream for a long time of a Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS benefit. Like a a week-long production of Rumors... Ooh. Starring Neil Simon's Rumors, starring only SNL alum. I have it all cast in my head. It's perfect. Uh, Tina Fey and uh, Jason Sudeikis as Chris and Ken. I have it all drafted somewhere. Rachel Dratch plays Cookie. Yeah. Uh, Daryl Hammond plays Cookie's husband. Oh. It just it's it gets it's all Kristen Wiig plays um Cassie. I have it all drafted in my head. It's a very... Bill Hader plays uh, Cassie's husband because they have such good chemistry together, uh, Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader. I would like you to send this list to me. I love that. I don't remember everybody else, but I I just... I remember reading it and being like, wow, this would actually be so bomb. And it would just be like a week long and only like... They would have to like... Like the tickets would have to be crazy expensive so that it like was a big fundraiser for Broadway. Why why haven't they done that? You should tell them. Oh, Maya Rudolph as um, Claire. That was another uh, one that I had. My Rudolph is Claire. She'd be so funny. Who do you have playing? Chris? The, yeah. Tina Fey. My Rudolph and Tina Fey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Well, we, my Rudolph, Tina Fey, Rachel Dratch. I just think of Claire and Chris. Amy though. Poehler could also do Cookie. Amy Poehler would be funny. Rachel Dratch would be so much better, though. <laughs> I just think it would be fun. It'd be a fun, obviously, way to raise money. That's like my dream cast, though, for Rumors is a bunch of SNL alum. I'll play the cop. Amazing. Where were we? Dreamcasting. Oh, yeah. Do you have anybody Talking else? Talking about SNL and Broadway. Nope. That's all. I have one final thought on the show. What is it? Lay it on me. Like, I mean, like, if you were going to play a character in the show or whatever, I would love to music direct to the show. I would love it. 
Yeah, I bet you would. You'd be great at it. It has all the jazzy, like... Yeah. They have such crisp cutoffs. And you know that's all a girl <laughs> needs. That's all I want. Would you audition for this show? If you were music directing it? Hands down. It's not what I meant, but thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I would. I mean, I'd love to play Dauntless again. I think that it's possible. I don't know that anybody's really doing this show right now. Anything's possible. Ooh, an Easter egg. Stay tuned. No, that's way before the show. Sure. <laughs> it is. <laughs> We've already done musical. Yeah, I guess you're right. My final thoughts. This is a very sweet Golden Age musical. It gets the laughs. It launched the career of Carol Burnett. And it's still, we still remember it in 2020. So it's obviously did something right. 60 years later, we still remember the show. So 60 years. Yeah. How old is Carol Burnett? Old. Holy shit. I really appreciate that. We've like barely talked about Sarah Jessica Parker this entire episode. I just don't think she was right for the role. No, it was, it was good for her career. It was before Alas. Sex in the City. Alas. I do like her interpretation, though, in Song for Love. Of course, she was probably told to do it. But it oh, great. of course. Shoo bop, shoo bop, shoo yeah. bop, ba ba da bo Instead of. Oh, I think I hear Carlotta coming back. All right. Fuck me. Take two sips. I don't want to. <laughs> Truly's taste good for like the first four sips, and then all of a sudden they taste like chemicals. I never said what I was drinking, but um, I'm drinking cranberry vodka and ginger ale. I'm so proud of you. It's very good, but. Household like, 30. Good, I'm on day 26. Oh my god, except for drinking. Except for drinking, because this is my job. <laughs> anything else i said it again but i don't fucking care i'm not gonna drink either no nothing else that's all that's all i have to say about this lovely sweet little show okay thanks for listening thank you for listening if you liked it keep listening if you liked it tell your fucking friends to listen too. tell your friends tell your friends about buzz broadway you can always come down today (laughs) if you like what you heard on today's episode be sure to leave us a rating and review Want to support Buzzed Broadway? Head to anchor.fm to learn more. If you need more Buzz Broadway shenanigans in your life, follow us on Instagram at at Podcast. Buzz Broadway is conceived and hosted by Amanda Harrington and Sam St. Jean. Editing by Amanda Harrington. Original music by Carl Pariso with musical arrangements by Patrick Doro. As always, thank you to our sponsors, to Anchor, and to you, our listeners. See you next time. I think I think it should be a la quiet, like Bus Broadway, Bus Broadway. Please listen <laughs> to us, Bus Broadway, Bus Broadway, or you'll get hit by a bus. Ding. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E 
www.thepurpose.org because only together we rise.